Welcome to WTTS In Conversation, supported by Technology Recyclers. I'm Matt Pelser. This is our bi-weekly podcast where we share three decades of exclusive WTTS interviews. Just over a decade ago, Laura Duncan bagged a dream interview with Robert Plant, who had just released his Band of Joy record. He talked about making the album, working with Alison Krauss, and reflected on the early project that gave him the idea for Band of Joy. The whole idea of being an entertainer is it's a bit sad, really, if you, if you strip it right down and see what it really is. Um, because you need to be accepted on some level or another, and yet we were precocious and somewhat arrogant and definitely blessed with this kind of ungentle music. And now... WTTS In Conversation with Robert Plant. Laura. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Is this Robert? Yeah, good morning. Well, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Congratulations on the new album. It is fantastic. Well, that's very kind. I'm very pleased with it. Well, I'm pleased with it. If I wasn't pleased with it, you wouldn't be hearing it. But... um, (laughs) I mean, it's a new place to go, and um, we just—I just waved goodbye to the band of Joy as they got on the plane and headed back for the the Americas. It's a bit of a weird thing, really, because I'm the only, um, you know, the only British guy in the band. Um, so whenever I have a band meeting, it takes about ten hours to get to them. They went away. We waved our hankies as they got on the plane, and <laughs> off they went. So we've been working all the way through since. I guess since about the beginning of July. Well, are you are you having fun doing this? That's important. Well, I wouldn't do a thing for a second if it wasn't fun. It's telling, but um, it's risky business, you know. But it's much better than being dull and uh, just getting trodden by your own, uh, I guess, uh, history. So it's great. I'm having a, a blast. Well, I got to tell you that you have put together one of the most talented group of musicians to record and tour with for a band of joy. Um, how did this come together? Was it a conscious pre-thought of people that would give the album the sound you were looking for, or was it just a collage of talented musicians that you've wanted to work with? Well, no, I mean, my time really constructively was with Buddy Miller when, when we were working with um, the Racing Sand Project. And Buddy and I used to talk nightly about material that we liked and the kind of mutuality of uh, of crazy rock and roll stuff, stuff out there on the edge between somewhere between Link Ray and Marla, and um, the, the sort of breadth of knowledge and um, and love of extreme music or you know beautiful music or whatever it is that we shared and exchanged was fantastic. And, and when Buddy and I we were discussing it, discussing it, let's make a record. So I started going through a load of songs, and he was suggesting various people who might become a part of the session, you know. Now, the se- when these guys came along, it was like in there one afternoon, and let's see what happens. So everybody knew that by 6 o'clock, if it wasn't happening, there would be a no, nothing uncomfortable. It just worked. And it worked so much that probably in about eight days, we probably recorded 20 tracks. That's an amazing experience in eight short days. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, you know, we were going, we were recording onto tape. There was no fuss. Everybody was just going about their business. And Gillian Welsh and Dave Rawlins let me have their studio out there in East Nashville. So 
there was nobody, I mean, it's not a studio that's used by the general public, but by other bands. So there was no, nobody coming by. We could just work, enjoy it, and then chill or split or just go out or do whatever. But the thing is, it was so easy to get to the root of it all to find out whether or not it worked, and it did, and it does, and it's getting better all the time because it's now, these guys have been around us quite a bit in Europe. They're getting used to that kind of European approach to my music, which is incorporating a lot of kind of Indian, North African polyrhythmic stuff that comes on. So, And the, the kind of lilt of the record already coming from the kind of um, sexy shake of the music with Marco's drumming and and Buddy's, you know, that kind of great flam that is somewhere between Bo Diddley, you know, and um, Tinarawen from Mali. The whole thing becomes quite a, a trippy affair now. It's a lot more raucous and a lot, lot more, um, there's a lot more reaching up to heaven than there ever was on that record. It's really gone somewhere great. Well, the arrangements of the songs that you chose are just uh, something incredible that I never would have thought uh, hearing those songs in their original form. You have songs by Los Lobos, Richard Thompson, Towns Van Zandt. Were you the sole person uh, picking those songs? Did you have help in picking those songs and arranging them? Well, there's two different things. Number one, I collect songs all the time. And uh, it's a funny thing because if you think about it, I mean, I've co-written probably 200 songs myself over the years, one way or another. But um, because I wanted to sing, since I started working on Raising Sand and moving to Nashville more, I wanted to sing songs, a bit like some of the more melodic stuff that I did in the 70s, where I was actually moving the melody around and doing something a bit more um, exotic and a bit more governed. So I needed to find songs that would work for that. And, um, you know, you're talking about House of Cards and, uh, you know, Angel Dance and um, The Only Sound That Matters, which is a great song. You know, there's songs where the melody is very strict. Yes. There's the, there's the vibe that the whole deal is there like that. I think arrangement-wise, they just developed in the studio. I don't think we played anything more than about three or four times before it was actually down on tape. Well, that's just just a fantastic representation of some wonderful music from the past that you've uh, freshened up and such an appreciated thing for all of us uh, as your fans. We'll be right back with Laura Duncan's talk with Robert Plant on WTTS In Conversation with support from Technology Recyclers. What happens to your obsolete electronics? It's estimated that only 18% of all electronic waste is properly recycled globally. This harms the environment, wastes natural resources, and pollutes our landfills. You should be recycling your computers and electronics. Technology Recyclers has the solution. With their R2 certification, they guarantee 100% data destruction. Their state-of-the-art shredding and separation system ensures nothing ends up in landfills. They're Hoosier veteran-owned and always free to you and your company. Visit Technology Recyclers on the web. We now return to WTTS In Conversation with Robert Plant. Uh, the title of the album, Band of Joy, was is actually taken from the name of a band you were in back, way back in the beginning of your career when you were just 17 years old. You tell us about the time in your life and the connection with this new project. Well, I had uh, the Band of Joy seemed to be a great name at that time, Robert Plant and the Band of Joy, because... The last thing it was was joyous. I mean, it was pretty much... Um, we were just skinny, starving kids moving around the, 
the British Isles trying to impress people with what we were doing. I mean, the whole idea of being an entertainer is it's a bit sad, really, if you, if you strip it right down and see what it really is. Um, because you need to be accepted on some level or another, and yet we were precocious and somewhat arrogant and definitely blessed with this kind of and gentle music. And um, John Bonham was the drummer in the most recent band of joy prior to this one. And um, we, we were pretty trippy. We were leaning very heavily on Jetson Airplane and um, mo some of the Moby Grape extended stuff and uh, Love, you know, Kaleidoscope, Beacon from Mars, all that stuff mixed up with Howlin' Wolf. So we knew that there was another way of doing it, we knew we could be accepted more if we became a bit more mainstream. But mainstream was not really where we were at. And, and when John and I joined up with Jimmy and, and John Paul, we brought what we had from the Band of Joy into that group. And, you know, it was the next step. So when it came to this now, working with Buddy all these years later, uh, as we started to develop the songs, I think the first day we did Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down, and then... Yeah, and then after that, um, we did Cindy, I'll Marry You Someday, where I started moving the lyrics around and making it a bit more churlish and a bit, you know, saying that I'd come all the way to, from England to steal your pretty hand. And the musician smiled and realized that I'm still very much of an English rock and roll singer, you know. But um, in the short space of time that it took, maybe three or four days, we knew that we got something that was... It, it defied any kind of, um, you know, analogies. It didn't fit into any... It wasn't going to become Americana for Americana's sake. It certainly wasn't bluegrass. It's not country. It's not rock. It's not hard rock, but it does rock. And then touching on those songs from Low, um, which had been in my car for about three or four years, Monkey and Silver Rider, we started getting more far out, you know, and, and then... And Patty came along and joined in, Patty Griffin, and added her that beautiful tone to the thing, which made it quite otherworldly. And now, of course, when we play, everybody sings, and sometimes it's just six of us singing a cappella, you know. I saw you uh, perform in St. Louis on the Raising Sand Tour with Alison Krauss, and the rapport uh, on stage between you and Alison, it was like you've known each other your entire lives. Uh, do you feel that kind of connection with Band of Joy? Of course, yeah, because this is more um, uh, this is more testy than, than raising sand. It's more um, it has a more of a kind of free form feel to it. So, you know, there are times when I will purposely dive into the song in a place that they don't expect, just to watch the eyebrows lift again and just to turn it a little bit on its side. Uh, I did it in the middle of a live TV thing, a na nationwide breakfast TV thing in New York, where I just modified the song. And there was sort of abject fear in everybody's faces for about four bars, but it tilts over like a plane flying out of the sun, you know? And um, so I think, yeah, I mean, Alison and I are great friends and, and always will be great friends. And this is another thing, you know? Um, and... It, it's very much um, a very adventurous thing, and it's maybe more of a kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it's um, more raucous and much more uh, swings like crazy, you know.
It does. And, and I can tell, I, I popped it in my CD player, and I can tell by the end of an album when I really enjoy it, my volume's cranked up to like 40. And that's what happened when I listened to Band of Joy. Excellent job on that. Well, the engineer, my, you know, Mike Poole, I mean, I can give a thousand name checks. People have been so considerate towards me and towards what I do. Um, uh, and uh, it's a great new world that I'm in now. And, uh, you know, I mean, people that would wonder what on earth I was doing. But if they only now start wondering, why did they must have been wondering for at least 20 odd years. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of acceptance, is it there are so many people that I've talked to and so many generations of fans that have embraced your music and you in general. Uh, people say, I love Robert Plant. Uh, they say they love your music as well, but they act like they know you. Is that kind of creepy or is that the point of it all? <laughs> I, I, I mean, when somebody sings, you know, I listen to people, I listen to singers, and I really attach to the way that people deliver a song, you know, um, about lyric, about <clears throat> about getting into the lyric and getting around the lyric and, and, and nursing it or caressing it or cajoling it. So you maybe you do begin to know what kind of person is behind the performance. I don't know. You know um, well, are, are there any professional goals that you have not yet met? in your long career? Um, I can't say that I want to do anything more than what I'm doing now. I'm very, very, very happy. I said goodbye to the guys yesterday, and off they went back to the States. And I think um, I, I never, ever planned the next thing while I was in the middle of the thing I was doing. You know, I mean, I can't, I don't want to stare into a crystal ball and say in, in two years' time I should be working in West Africa, um, you know, involved in creating irrigation plants or whatever it is off the Niger <laughs> River. Or I just think I need to stay with these people for a long time because I'm learning more and I'm learning more about how to sing um, as a singer rather than just project as a front man. Well, uh, I, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know that you have a lot of people to talk to today, but uh, a question I have uh, that I try to ask myself every day is, what is the very best thing that has happened to you all day, Robert? Well, that's a very interesting question. What's happened to me today that's been spectacular is I had a great Indian curry at lunchtime. Oh, that's spectacular. Mine is that I woke up. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, and I'll see you at the Beacon Theater at the end of January. Much success on the album and life in general. Robert Plant, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. WTTS in conversation with support from Technology Recyclers. Subscribe to this podcast and find more information at WTTSFM.com. I'm Matt Pelser. Thanks for listening.